I'm Jamie Lewis, a food and drink writer based in San Luis Obispo, California. And this is Consumed, a podcast about eaters, drinkers, makers, and thinkers across California and at its heart, the Central Coast. Thank you for listening. Consumed is sponsored by my friends at Slow Life Magazine. I remember when Slow Life first came out, it was a skinny but mighty magazine intent on sharing the stories of people who live, work, play, and give in San Luis Obispo. Today, the magazine is no longer skinny at all. It packs loads of interviews, information, inspiring stories, and my food column, which covers dining trends up and down the coast. Find Slow Life in your mailbox every other month by subscribing at slowlifemagazine.com. Greg Clark is an illustrator for such publications as The New Yorker, The Atlantic, Rolling Stone, and The Wall Street Journal, just to name a few. When I look at his work, I consistently say the word cute because that's what it is at first glance. But if I look a little deeper, his images are deceptively gritty. They often feature a dog or cat behaving like a human, whether that's reading a book, smoking a cigarette, or mixing a drink. That last image is exactly what landed Greg a book deal with HarperCollins to produce A Sidecar Named Desire, Great Writers and the Booze That Stirred Them. Greg is an epicure and his illustrated characters tend to be as well. A Sidecar Named Desire walks readers through the history of wine, beer, gin, tequila, and other tipples as they relate to great authors and writers, and as guided by a fictional character named the Booze Hound, who is, you guessed it, a dog. I spoke with Greg at his home in Southern California about the nature of his work, how some illustrations draw themselves, and about growing up in L.A. with two gourmets for parents. By the way, don't miss a photo of Greg's Lum Wiggly, or The Wiggly Man, on his episode page at letsgetconsumed.com. Here's Greg Clark. Greg Clark, it's so fun to see you, and I just descended on your house on a beautiful Sunday, and I'm keeping you inside, and I apologize for that. Oh, no problem. Thank you, Jamie. <laughs> um, the way that I found out about you, we, we contribute to the same magazine. Yes. Um, which is a point of pride for me. Yes. Um, 805 yes. Living. Yes, 805 Living, which is um, covers the Central Coast from, let's say, Calabasas and Malibu up to where I live, near Paso Robles. Um, and you do the back page. You do the illustrations on the back page. That's correct. The, do you uh, ever do any other spots in that magazine? No, that's pretty much been been what I do. I mean, Lynn contacted me years and years. I think I've been doing this for them it's um, a long time. Oh gosh, yeah, I, I'm not even sure. Maybe six, seven years. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. And so that was what she wanted me to do, and I've been doing it ever since. And mm. um, you know, six years. It, it gets challenging sometimes because the themes are pretty much the same yeah. from issue to issue yeah. every year. Um, but but it's fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she gives me complete freedom and. And, uh, I can, I can go into subjects that, you know, that with my regular illustration work, I wouldn't normally get to do. Yeah. Do you get pretty tight assignments on things when you're, you know, any number of um, publications that you contribute to, do they give you very distinct, like say it's a New Yorker piece and it's on, um, like I love the portrait you did of Beck as a, Uh as a dog, Uh which is just brilliant. Did someone say, do, uh, you know. Um, shoulder up portrait of Beck as a dog, or was that your decision? No, that was my decision. Um, and no, Rolling Stone—they're—they're they're known for for their 
giving their artists complete freedom as well. Mm-hmm. And so they just said this is, you know, this was the album was Odile, his I think it was his first album. And uh, they just said, uh, do your interpretation of, you know, here's here's the music. They sent me a, a copy of the of the CD and uh, just do your interpretation of them. And so it's that was, so great. And it does look like him. I and mean, that's the crazy yeah. thing is he's a, he's a dog, but it I, looks yeah. just like I'm not sure how I pulled that off. I know. Oh. Well, so, so much of your work does seem to center on, um, on food and drink, or at least I would almost want to say the good life. A lot of your characters, is that what you would call them? Like yeah, characters. characters uh-huh. They seem like people who are very comfortable, you know, smoking a long cigarette in an armchair, <laughs> even if they are, say, a lot of them are dogs and cats, I think, right? Yes, yes. Um, so where does that come from? Why, why are so many of them like that? Um, well, I, I guess, you know, I, I certainly enjoy my creature comforts. Um, I, I, I mean, I've, I've enjoyed food since I was a kid. I just, you know, my, my parents were both not foodies cause there weren't really foodies back in the sixties, but, but they, they, they both enjoyed dining out at nice restaurants. And I remember, um, I remember them, you know, when they would on weekends, when they would go out for a date and get a, get a babysitter for me and my siblings, you know, they would go to places like Scandia and Perino's Mm -hmm. and, you know, all the posh LA places in the sixties and seventies. So I I was aware of fine dining at an early age, even though they never took us (laughs) to to those those kinds of places. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I, and I remember, uh, I remember coming across a, coming across a uh, recipe for chilies from Chasen's, mm. which was an, another big eatery in L.A. at the time. And they were known for their chili. I mean, Liz Taylor supposedly had it flown out to her on set. Um, so I came across this recipe, and I told my mother I wanted, to make, I wanted to make this chili. And so she got me the ingredients, and um, I ended up making it yeah. for the family. Yeah, and that was kind of a first foray into yeah. cooking. I mean, I actually thought, you know, maybe I might be a chef someday, but hmm. art, art went out. Yeah, and what were the earliest signs that art was? I mean, what does a, a budding illustrator look like? Well, I didn't really, I wasn't even aware of the profession of illustration as a kid. Um, what I wanted to be was a comic strip artist. Hmm. Um, I loved the, the, you know, the the comic page today has shrunk down to postage stamp size, but back in the sixties and seventies, it was a big deal. I mean, that was my favorite section of, of the paper. And so, you know, I love peanuts and I loved Andy cap and wizard of it. And, um, you know, all these classic comics. And I thought maybe that would be something I would pursue. Um, were you already kind of doodling and, Oh yeah, I was a, I was a terrible doodler in in, in school. Mm. I mean, I I think I had you know attention deficit disorder before that was a thing. Yeah. And so I was always drawing in my when I was supposed to be working, I was drawing, mm. and um, my teachers would complain to my parents about that. <laughs> I would love to see those journals now, you know, or like those notebooks now. That would yeah. be so interesting. Yeah. Um, no, so that was always it was always a, th- a thing that I did. 
but but once I realized, you know, being a comic strip artist was probably not not a very viable career choice, especially by the time I was an adult, you know, comics were dying out. Yeah. Um, it, it just became, it, it wasn't something that I wanted. To, it was, I, I figured I had to figure out, I figured I needed to find some other way to make a living. Mm-hmm. And so I was in, I was also interested in film as a kid. And so that was another area I was thinking about and I ended up going to UCLA mm. uh, to be a film major and then ended up becoming an art major instead. And, but UCLA was a fine art school. Mm. So again, that was, you know, how am I going to, how am I going to make a living once I get out of here? I, do you mean like as opposed to a graphic arts or? As, a, as opposed to an applied art school where okay. they teach commercial illustration. Yeah. So I didn't have any commercial art training at all. Um, so when I got out of school, I just, I, 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 I think I worked maybe for six months at Crown Books in Westwood. Did you really? <laughs> that was like my first job out of school, mm. and then I and then I I, I somehow wrangled a, a job in a bullpen at an ad agency in LA mm. called Dinerhauser Bates, and they were a uh, they were an entertainment ad agency, so they did movie posters, and so oh, you know, be, being a, a being somebody who had wanted to go into film that that. Seemed that was a great job yeah. for me. And you designed. I mean, I'm, I'm well, guessing you did movie posters then. Well, I started in the bullpen as as basically a gopher, mm. and I just ordered supplies for the art directors and made their coffee and all that. But I eventually did work my way up to art director, mm. and I did design some posters, and um, and and all along I I was becoming more aware that there was this career out there called illustration you know as an art director they hire illustrators Mm -hmm. and I was hiring illustrators and so I just I I just started looking more and more into that and and I still I never stopped drawing Mm -hmm. um so I worked as I worked as an art director and a graphic designer for quite a few years and one of my one of my friends at UCLA um one of my best friends was Gary Baseman, who um, now is he's an international art star. But at the time, he was he he was also pursuing a career as an illustrator. He had moved to New York, and and kept telling me, you know, Greg, you got to get your portfolio together. You know, come out and show your work to art directors. And so eventually, I did that, and and it went well. Um, I. Got a few jobs on my after my first trip to New York, and um, came back and I started. I, I had this full time uh, job as a graphic designer in a graphic design firm, and I just I, I basically went from full time to part time and just sort of weaned myself away from the graphic design work as I started getting more and more illustration work, mm-hmm. and um, pretty soon I was able to completely quit. How did that feel when you quit? Um, it felt great. I mean, yeah. I, I just i i loved I loved being in command of my my own destiny, yeah. as it were. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah, i I was working not too differently from you. I was working for an agency, a PR agency, 
And I started to kind of put my work, you know, I'm dealing with a lot of different editors trying to get them to read press releases. And, um, and so I had a nice little network of magazines that I was connected to and they, and some editors, if they liked what I was doing, they would share it with their colleagues. And so I ended up getting quite a few editorial freelance gigs. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point it was really starting to cramp my, you know, my full-time job. Yeah. And it was a pretty amazing day when I said, I'm just going to do what I want now. <laughs> and I had to justify it with numbers, you know, to my husband to be like, look, I think I can do better than this. Even if I just hustle for myself, I'd definitely be more passionate about it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that's, that was the beginning of a really nice era for me has been, you know, I couldn't do this if I, if I had yeah. a job. Yeah. So yeah. Lovely. Yeah. And I mean, illustration back, back in the nineties, this was the early nineties. Um, it was kind of a golden age for illustration because print publishing was still flying high. And, you know, I, I, I couldn't take all the work that came my way. Mm. Um, of course now that's completely different. Um, you know, print, print is, has, has been on a long and steady decline and, and, uh, um, you know, it's still, it's still a lot of, a lot of my work is that, but I've, I've had to branch out into other, areas yeah. i mean hence the book well, right. that was one of the one right. of the things um do you yeah. ever do do you do like um i think about online online multimedia work for say new york times or something where they have an animated well and i've, I've actually seen some of your animated stuff where it moves it's not necessarily um it's more like stop action yeah 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 some some uh, they call them gif animations yeah um, yeah, I've been, I've been slowly just getting into that cause obviously that's where things are headed. Um, I, I've, I've only done a few of those. I did one for the wall street journal not too long ago, but I'm just, just now learning. I've been taking, I've been Googling online tutorials on, on that. So I've been, that's something I've been learning cause that's, that's definitely a skill that I'm going to need yeah. moving forward. Yeah. Do you pitch your work a lot or do those does wall street journal come to you it's a it's a mix i mean i've been in the business long enough that that enough people are aware of me and familiar with my work Mm -hmm. but it's still it's a constant hustle because the the competition now you know in the in the 90s and early 2000s i was just competing against american illustrators Mm. now i'm competing against the world yeah right you know with with you know with with the computer um so it, it's it, so I, I still I still have to promote and um, strangely my, my my still my my best form of promotion is an old fashioned postcard. Really, um, sending those out. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I used to send out email promos and and I still do that occasionally, but art directors seem to prefer a printed something mm-hmm. they can hold. And maybe pin up on their bulletin board. Right, right. Um, so that's that's been my primary promotional mode lately. Yeah. Growing up, um, you said that you made the chili. <laughs> yes. Were you were you a picky eater? I mean, were you a discriminating eater? No, I was not. Um, uh, my siblings were much more so. I, I pretty much liked everything. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, I, I can't remember anything that my mother served that I, that I, that I really didn't like. Was she a pretty good cook or a pretty active cook? Yeah, she was. I mean, she was, she was a sixties homemaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so she made dinner pretty much six nights a week. Yeah. Saturday, Saturday nights, we usually was, was her night out of the kitchen. And so you fended for so, yourself or something? No, no, we, that's, we would, we would go out to dinner as a oh, family. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, some of my fondest memories are, you know, going to restaurants. Mm. Like, I remember uh, there was a, I grew up in Palos Verdes mm-hmm. um, up until my middle school years. And there was a place in the South Bay called Nardoni's, which yeah. was just a fantastic Italian, old family style Italian restaurant that I absolutely loved. And, uh, and, and there was a red onion in Palos Verdes, you know, an early iteration of the red onion before it became that, yeah. that eighties, uh, dance yeah. thing. Um, so yeah, love, love, love red onion and, mm. uh, and Swedish smorgasbords were big yeah. back then. Yeah. And in so, LA actually, I hadn't, I didn't realize that. I guess a lot of Swedes, we, along my dad's side of the family, um, Swedish, my, my maiden name is Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he grew up in LA. Um, and then my husband's family had some very serious Swedes and they all were in Burbank. So I guess there was some kind of a, 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 yeah. a movement. I don't know if that was a LA thing or if that was a national thing. Yeah. Um, and Scandia was certainly the, the, you know, the, the high, high end of, of that Swedish food craze. Mm. But the smorgasbords were, I guess, all over the mm. Southland. And there was one called the Swedish Corner that that uh, I absolutely loved. Yeah. Uh, what did your parent, what did your dad do? Uh, he, he was a, he, he, he mastered it. He got a master's degree in physics and he, I, I think he was a frustrated artist. I think he, he was actually an incredible draftsman. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at some of the drawings he did when he was, when he was uh, in elementary school and junior high school, and they're just incredible. I mean, they, they blow my skills out of the water. Mm-hmm. And he, but, you know, that art was not something that you, it was not a, it was not a respectable career yeah. back in the 30s. <laughs> Yeah, right. 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. Um so his parents steered him steered him away from that and he ended up he also happened to be a brilliant man uh, with physics and mathematics as well. Yeah. And so he he ended up going the physics route and um after a brief stint in in the navy where he met my mother in Florida um he got a job at Hughes Aircraft Company mm-hmm. in Culver mm-hmm. City, and so they they drove out here, and uh, that's pretty much that was his career for the next umpteen years. Until he got the gold watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. so interesting. I, so many people um, come from somewhere else, but they have LA is part of the journey and their heritage, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is through um, the aerospace. Um, yeah. Industry. Oh, that was huge back yeah. in the sixties. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I know that um, you mentioned the book, A Sidecar Named Desire, which is such a delight to read. It really is. I mean, for somebody who I love, I love words, I love literature, and then I love booze, and it's just the best of the book. I mean, to explain it in a nutshell, it seems to me like a, a history of booze through, through the storytelling of different authors and history. Yes. Um, and it's all illustrated. Yes. And um, were you the primary? You were the only illustrator on that? I, w- I was the only illustrator, but I was a co-writer with... with- uh, Monty Bouchamp, yeah. who's a longtime friend and collaborator. And, uh, yeah, Monty actually came to me with the idea. Um, the, the idea initially was a history of, of booze as a, as a uh, source of, of inspiration for all creative types, mm-hmm. and including artists and writers musicians. And, and musicians. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we pitched it. Um, and then Harper Collins, we got several bids in Harper Collins, uh, we ended up going with Harper Collins, but they wanted us to narrow the focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, then I would, and, I would agree with them. Actually, I think it works really well, well just that way. Once we got into, into the research and the actual writing of it, we were so thankful they, they did narrow it yeah. down because... Even just the writers, we we couldn't we couldn't fit cram it all in. No, it would have been an encyclopedia. You would have had to have released multiple volumes. I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe we're thinking a sequel for artists yeah. and a sequel for musicians. But how long did it take you to put that together? Well, it was crazy because they that they bought the rights. I think in in it was the fall of twenty seventeen. And we basically had six months oh to write word. it, and and it was like three hundred illustrations. Well, and and also the research that goes into it, it's clear. I mean, there must have been a ton of fact checking on a lot of this. Oh stuff. my gosh, it was yeah. It's all facts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and 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 yeah. I mean, we really had to, to dig deep because there's a lot of obviously misinformation. Yeah. Out there, and and so yeah, it was. This book was pretty much my life for six mm-hmm. months. I mean, I had to turn down all work mm-hmm. just just to hit the deadline. Um, but yeah, ultimately, ultimately, it, it it was worth it. Yeah. Do you have a strong connection to spirits, beer, wine? Is that something you were already interested in, already drinking before you did the yes. book? Yes. Well, that's one reason um, Monty came to me because we share both share an interest in in fine spirits and and wine and beer and and uh so he thought he thought i was the perfect guy to collaborate with on this um yeah and that's another thing i can trace back to my childhood my my parents love their martinis yeah martinis, <laughs> you know in the, in the in the 60s that was i think the most popular american cocktail and and so i you know th- th- they wouldn't obviously wouldn't give me a martini but I'd, I'd take a sip here and there. And, and what is that like for a child? That's a gnarly thing to taste as a kid. It was. It was initially, but I think it really it it it, it sort of set my palate yeah. early on because to this day that is still my favorite cocktail. Is it really? I'll take that over anything else. Yeah. I I will fully disclose that I don't get that. I a martini is not my palate was not set to that. <laughs> um, it just tastes so harsh to me 
But I think there's a point of pride. It's like drinking your coffee really, really black or, um, you know. Well, it is, it is. It's pure alcohol. Yeah. I mean, it's straight gin and, and a smidge of, of vermouth. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely the hard stuff. Yeah, the hard stuff, right? Yeah. But I think when you get into things like that with the hard stuff, especially for something as strong as a martini or as just even as strong as like uh, gin, vodka, whatever, vermouth, it has to be very good. You start to see uh, there's a big um, discrepancy between good and not so good. Oh, absolutely. And you can really see it there because that's all there is. There's nothing that can cover it up. Absolutely. That's, yeah. that's why you want to use the finest gin for a good martini. Yeah. And what's yeah. your brand? Um, well, I, I, I probably have three top brands at the moment. Um, Bombay Sapphire mm-hmm. is my old standby, but currently my favorite is Plymouth, oh. which is another, it's a, it's a, I, I'm, it's been around for a long, long time. I, I don't know if it's mm-hmm. as old as Bombay, but, um, but it's a little, it's a little less juniper forward yeah. than, than the Bombay. And it's just, it's a very smooth gin. Mm. And then another one is the botanist, which is a Scottish yes. yeah. gin. And kind it's, of, well, it sounds like it's floral. It's, um, herbaceous. It's yes. Yeah, yes. Botanical. Obviously. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's really quite something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are my top three. And of course you've got to use a very good vermouth as well. Yeah. Yeah. And in my case, that's uh, Nwali Pratt. Molly Pratt? Nwali, N-N-O-I-L-L-Y. Oh. And then P-R-A-T. Okay. It was T.S. Eliot's favorite ah. uh, vermouth. Look at all the things you learned, too, through that. <laughs> I'm sure you just felt like you were learning stuff all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it was great fun. With, uh, I mean, I know a publisher does have ideas of how they want the book to look, but you were probably given pretty free reign on how you, what you illustrated, how you did it. Is that oh, true? Com- complete. Yeah. yeah. So when you have an idea, like the cover is this great picture. Of course it's a dog, but with a human body, <laughs> like, <laughs> like so many of them are, um, it's the booze hound character. It's that... the booze hound. Ga- yeah. And so the fact that you have this one character weaving through the book, almost as a narrator, like a yeah, Greek chorus, it's like the guide, Yeah, the guide, um, on the cover, he's sitting, of course, drinking a, a martini on an, uh, a card catalog, um, drawer that's been pulled out. So, you know, what's the inspiration? Did okay. you think this is cover material? Well, that actually was not our choice. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, the one thing that, that the I one thing at. the interior, we were, we had carte blanche on, but on the cover they, 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 they get their own ideas on the covers. Yeah. And yeah, Monty and I did not, we felt, we felt that the card catalog was, was too, too retro. Yeah. You know, and that a lot of millennial drinkers wouldn't even know what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, I, I showed my son, who is almost 10, and he said, what is that? And that was a moment of, wow, okay. Yeah. Yes, we're, we're aging out. <laughs> we're definitely aging out. That's precisely why we did not want that on the cover. Yeah. Um, but they insisted, and uh, so that's what it ended up being. Yeah. So. What is um, one of your favorite things that you learned from that book from the process of writing it well it it was i mean it was certainly it was the first book i'd ever written and i have so much more respect for people that that write nonfiction. yeah that requires research yeah um 
you know, we, we didn't have the time to, all of our research had to be web-based because we didn't have the time to actually contact people and interview people and primary sources. I mean, and, that, yeah. that, that just with six months and, and three of those months, it was basically three months to write and three months to illustrate. Wow. So, so we had no time and I feel like I wasn't able to, to, to finesse the writing as much as we would have liked either. That's so funny um, to me because it's so well written. And I, and I had an inkling that you were one of the writers on that, that you weren't just the illustrator. And I mean, what was that like to, to branch out a bit? It seems like oh, I'm very was, comfortable in that. Oh, uh, there's something I've wanted to do for a long time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been wanting to, to, to write a children's book for a while as mm-hmm. well. I've illustrated some children's books, um, but, but I've never done, I've never written and illustrated one myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got some ideas that are percolating, but, um, so yeah, this was, this was really a, a nice departure from the grind of, of cranking out the drawings mm-hmm. every week. Um, so it was really, it was really a nice break yeah. from my usual. Yeah. And work. it came out 2018 or 2019 end of, end of 2018. Okay. Yeah. Has it been received well? Yeah, very well. Um, it's, I know that briefly, briefly at Amazon, it was like the number, it was the number one best-selling book in the admittedly obscure category of historical graphic novels, oh even gosh. though it's not, even though it's not technically a graphic novel. Right. But it was pretty high up in the spirits category. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and it's just, it's been kind of a slow, a slow you know, slow sales things since then. And, you know, Monty and I are still, we still try to promote it in our yeah. social media. And um, and we got some very nice reviews as mm-hmm. well. Where does Monty live? Monty's in Chicago. Isn't that amazing that you can work across that? Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I've, I, I only met Monty in person recently. <laughs> no. after After working together for years on, he, he does this, this uh, comics anthology called Blab uh, for Fanographics. Uh, Fanographics is the publisher. And I've been collaborating with him doing pieces in that for for probably 15 years. Mm-hmm. So that's how long I've known him. And then, yeah, I only, I only met him maybe when we were initially talking about this book. Mm-hmm. Maybe three years ago he came out. That is so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I suppose it's not really all that surprising to people who've never known any different. But yeah. I yeah. mean, I've I've known different, so it still amazes me that, especially in publishing editing, it's all completely possible to do without ever having met the person who's employing you. Yes, um, or that you're employing. Yes, it's an amazing time for that. Yeah. Well, and as an illustrator too, I, I I've worked with art directors at publications for. 20 years mm-hmm. whom, whom I've never met. Yeah. And every, every once in a while, and you know, you develop this idea of what they must look like in your, in your head. <laughs> and then when you finally meet them, you know, they look nothing. <laughs> it, it's, it's like this cognitive dissonance, you know, yeah. seeing the actual person with the voice you've heard for 20 years, especially as an illustrator, I would imagine where you kind yeah. of have a little caricature in your mind. Yeah. 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 Do you ever meet people? Like, I'm curious <laughs> what your caricature of me would be. Lots of teeth, hair, and eyes, I'm sure. But <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm really not a caricaturist. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, there's much better caricatures out there. Yeah. But Um, you have a care. It's not a caricature. You're right. But there are characters who are very clearly, they have their own personality and it reads all over a very few lines. Really. You're not a, um, it's not overwrought ever. The mm, stuff that you produce. mm, Thank you. Well, you know, this, this book was actually one of my first opportunities to attempt caricature Mm. because I had to draw so many of these writers. And so that was kind of fun too, just stretching out there. Yeah. My favorite is, um, I posted it on Instagram. It was so funny. The, uh, EB white as Charlotte's web. Oh my gosh. And what's he holding? It's a, it's a cocktail. He's holding a martini. That was his drink. Yes. Right. And EB white. And then you have such a a heritage with the New Yorker, which EB white was, I think executive editor of, um, Yeah, and I'm thinking about the New Yorker as such a huge. They've been such champions of illustration. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the only. It's to this day, I believe, it's the only magazine that still has an illustrated cover. Right, and it's so critical to their, to their ethos. I mean, it's everything. Absolutely. Yeah, and you've done several covers, I would imagine, for them. I've done one cover. Ah. Um. um and. and Lots of interior stuff. Yeah. 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 What was the cover that you did for them? Uh, this was, a, 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 not ironically, it was about books. Mm-hmm. It was called, the title of, of it was Winter Page Turners. And it was, a, I think it was a December, either December or early January issue with a, a bunch of characters engaged in uh, winter sports activities while they're reading books. Yeah. Cute. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And even as I say that, I think cute is not the word, <laughs> but you know, I think that is, uh, other people have said that about your work, that it is deceptively dark. Sometimes actually it can come off as cute because it's, you know, animals as humans and, um, and it sounds so lovely winter sports and reading, <laughs> but there is something, there's a little edge. To there's everything. a little edge, a little undercurrent. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, again, to, to go back to early child influences, my dad had several books of Charles Adams cartoons mm. and you know, he was, he was about as dark as, as cartoonists came. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, he spawned the Adams family and that whole I didn't franchise. know that actually. Okay. Yeah. So kind yeah. of Gothic almost. Yeah. Looking. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah. The, and, and then Edward Gorey. Yes. Is, uh, that's... He's, he's another, um, huge inspiration for me. And of course, a very dark undercurrent with his yeah. work as well. Yeah. Um, and how does that play out? What are you a pretty um, happy-go-lucky guy? <laughs> <laughs> um, my wife would probably say no. Mm. Um, I mean, I think I'm pretty. I think I'm pretty mellow. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I try not to let things impact me negatively as much as possible. I mean, this past year has been rough for me because both my parents passed away. Um, yeah. And early, but I think my dad last January and my mom in February. Mm. And so that's been challenging, but it's also, you know, it's one of those, one of those watershed moments in your life where you just, you make corrections in, in your outlook. Mm. And, uh, um, you know, I, I try not to let the little things bother me as much, mm-hmm. you know, when, when an event like that happens, it puts things in perspective. 
I've heard before that no one is truly an adult until they lose their parents. I, uh, yeah. 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 I, I am an orphan now for the first time in my life. Did you take care of them as they were? Yeah, actually my, yes, I did. My, I had my, my office in their home. They lived in Thousand Oaks Mm. and I had my office in their home in one of their, their bedrooms so I could sort of keep an eye on them. You know, my dad had been ailing for a while. My mom's was more sudden, like cancer, a sudden cancer diagnosis. But um, so I'm grateful that I, I was able to, to see them every day yeah. and, and spend that time with them. And that's the beauty of having a flexible, you yes, know, yes. built by in, me kind of job. Any other job, I could not have done that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you feel proud of the work that you've put together over these years? It's a pretty incredible thing to be able to live like this at all. Um, yes and no. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you're uh, most illustrators I know think they suck. (laughs) Really? Think their work suck. (laughs) Oh God, artists. (laughs) Um, but you know, that's, that's part of, you know, that you're always striving, striving to, to do better or to, to achieve some ideal you have in your head of the kind of work you'd like to be doing. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I certainly, I, I certainly have, have, have had some very, very nice achievements mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, uh, um, but you know, I still feel like I have more to do. Yeah. Aside from the book, which you have every right to be proud of, um, what's a piece that you've done that you really liked when you were done, you felt like, Oh yes, it, it almost drew itself. Oh Yeah. Um, it almost drew itself. I've had a lot of those moments, sort of Bob Dylan talking about how songs would write themselves. Right. An amazing flow state. Yeah. Um, well, the, 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 the Beck portrait was one of those. Oh, really? Because I had, I had no time. Mm. Um, most of, most of the jobs that, that seem to, to create themselves are the ones where the deadline is so tight mm. that you just plunge in and just hope it works out. And that was one. I think I had, I had a couple days for the sketch sketches, and and a couple days for the finish. Yeah. And you know, ideally, I like to have one to two weeks on something. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was one that, it, it, strangely, right after I completed it, I, I wasn't sure about it. You know, because when you're looking at something for hours, you know, does that really look like Beck? You know, you you, you sort of lose that outside perspective and so I just shipped it off and hoped for the best and and um the art director loved it and and it ended up getting into um there's these illustrator competitions called American Illustration ended up getting into American Illustration and it ended up being a a, one of those pivotal jobs for me that really elevated my profile Mm -hmm. and and uh a lot more work started coming my way yeah. after that. Um, the New Yorker cover was another one that, that again, that was highly pressurized, mm-hmm. but it's, I was, I was pretty happy with the result. Yeah. You're making me think that you're actually drawing up old memories of being a kid. I was a real, um, I can meet people and I can small talk clearly with, <laughs> with the best of them. Um, but I get my energy from being alone. I really love to be by myself. And so as a kid, I would spend 
hours upon hours alone in my room. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, not cause anyone told me to, but by choice, I just loved it. And, um, it worked well because I think my mom's something of an introvert too. So she yeah. probably really appreciated some time off. Uh, but I would, I think every kid tries to be, um, an artist. I think everybody kind of tries that out and I tried it out and it did not work out for me. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. like not even close, uh-huh. but I remember nights on my own, um, you know, the windows open, you can hear crickets outside and it's dusk and trying to draw something like a face from a magazine and starting to really believe that it was very good. You know, as the hours wear on, it's like, Oh, this is really good. Yeah. And then yeah. you go to sleep and you wake up the next morning and you're like, what was I thinking? Do oh, you still have oh days like oh, that? Oh my gosh. I, I have down in the garage, I have a flat file full of illustrations from, you know, 20 years worth. I'm doing this for about 25 really. Mm. Um, and so it, it's just packed full of work. And I, and I, I periodically will purge the, those drawers. And every time, I, every time I open one and start digging, I, I cringe yeah. when I look at some of the stuff that I thought at the time was good. Isn't <laughs> you know, that funny? It's, it's kind of scary. You no longer trust your own perception. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and I, I, anything, that, anything that is embarrassing to me now, I get rid of, yeah. and, you know, I don't, I don't want my pit, my kids digging through that, you know, when I, when it's my time. Right. It's like a, <laughs> it's like when a mother is afraid, you know, that her child's going to be in some kind of car accident. They're going to be wearing like holy underwear, like underwear. <laughs> yes. What would they think about uh-huh. me as a parent? Yes. Um, another thing that you talk about is highly pressurized is such a good way to say it. When you're assigned something that you have to act very quickly on. Um, you don't really have a lot of time to experience self-doubt. You just got to get the gig done. Oh, yeah. You just you, you just hope afterwards that it was okay. Right. And I've had many pieces that I was told to do something very quickly, get it turned around right away. And where I really felt like as I was sending it away thinking, well, there's a total failure, but at least I got it done. And then reading it, you know, several months later as it's published and being like, holy oh, yeah. cow. It works the other way too. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is the creative process. Yeah. Creative process is not for sissies. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. Yeah. Well, um, in terms of, um, you, you kind of touched on some triumphs for you and I love the idea of those pivotal door opening assignments where maybe Mm -hmm. you didn't, you, you didn't realize how big it would be. Yeah. Um, as far as all the different media that you've taken up. I mean, I can even see in here, you've got some wine labels. Um, have you ever done a, a show you've, I'm sure you've done, um, exhibits and shows. Um, yeah, not, not recently, but, um, I, I, I have a couple of very good friends, Gary Baseman, who I mentioned earlier and my friend, Mark Fox, who also went to UCLA and now lives in San Francisco, but we had several group shows, um, back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, like that, that poster right there I was, love was for, poster. for one of this is the loom wiggly poster. Yeah. Um, that was for one of those shows. And, um, yeah, that was, that is, but it's not something that I've, that I've pursued mm. in the last dozen years. Mm. It's just, uh, 
it's it's really gallery work is a whole different thing. Yeah, the uh, Lum Wiggly. Where does that come from? What is that? <laughs> He's so cute. I'll try to post something about it, but he it's darling. It's. <laughs> Is he's 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 sort of become my alter ego. I mean, he was kind of my my logo for a while. Um, it, it's I've always been amused, but I took French and I, I went to UCLA. I took French mm-hmm. that and as a couple couple years of French there, and the language always amused me. It's just it has this kind of comical um, <laughs> uh, quality about it, and so I I. This character, he's just kind of this anxious character. That's why he's 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 wiggly, and you know I'm kind of an anxious guy. So I he just was he just sort of seemed to fit how I was feeling at the time, mm-hmm. and then I shoehorned the French in there for an added comic level. <laughs> My husband says French is ridiculous. The language just because it, there are so many letters that you don't even say. <laughs> There's so many extraneous letters. Well, I love Lum Wiggly, Wiggly Man. That's a great image. But what's funny about that poster is, is it was recently, I gave one of those posters to, uh, to the, to, to Nicholas Blackman, who, who was a, an art director at the New York times mm-hmm. in the nineties. And so, you know, I gave it to him, forgot about it. He, now he's the creative director of the New Yorker. Wow. And Dwell Magazine did a, yeah. did a profile of his Brooklyn apartment. And Wiggly Man was hanging oh. front and center over his couch. Doesn't that feel good? <laughs> Isn't that awesome? But what's so funny about it is, is I, I had these, I, it, it, was a, it was a limited edition of, of 75 and I think at the show I sold about twenty-five of them, mm-hmm. and then the other fifty had been languishing in my flat files ever since. But after that article came out, I've been getting all these inquiries for that poster, so now I'm almost out. <laughs> so you're saying though that you have one left? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I I don't want to go too much longer, but I do want to ask you about your kids. Do they show any propensity toward art? Uh, you know, they they. I, I think they're they're both they're both very creative, and, and I think they both. Um, you know, I had them drawing very early, just like my parents had me drawing early, mm-hmm. and they both did some great drawings. And and my daughter, she's twenty one now. She still likes to draw and paint, but I think they saw, especially in the late 2000s when illustration was really taking it hard on the head, mm. they saw me struggling, and I think they decided early on that art was not a career that mm. they wanted something that was a little more financially stable than what their father was doing. Yeah, yeah. So neither one of them has, has ever thought of it as a as a career hmm. alternative, but... Um, but yeah, they're both, I think they both are very good. Yeah. It's interesting. It kind of loops back to your dad too. Of yeah. Having a job. Um, yeah. And you were the one wedged in the middle who, who did it. That's right. Which is very right. cool. Well, I ask everyone, what would you eat if it were your last day on earth? And I know what you would drink. At least I think <laughs> I know what you would drink. Well, um, it would probably be one of those cost no object Japanese restaurants, mm-hmm. 
um, like Urosawa, I think, in L.A., and Masa in New York. Yeah. And, you know, the, the omakas were chef's choice. Um, I mean, I just, I just love Japanese food. It's probably my, my, my top hmm. uh, ethnic cuisine. It is a very and, artful. I mean, it's artfully done, everything about uh, the it. The presentation and everything, yeah. yeah. And, and my family loves it, too. So I would love to take them there yeah. at one of those places. And um, given that it's sushi, it would probably have to be, i probably have to forego my martini and okay. go with a, go with the, although I, I've heard martini, martinis pair with sushi. Hmm. I probably have to go with the high-end sake of, yeah. of the chef's choosing. Yeah. I'm always surprised how many people I ask that they say sushi. There, there's something very soulful and clean about it. I think that that it touches people when they eat it. It's an art form that you get to eat, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And you feel, you don't feel bloated after eating it. Yeah. I mean, you just feel good after you eat it. Yeah. And it's a good way to um, go out. <laughs> what, what's funny is my parents, um, I tried to take them several times and they just could not, uh, you know, hmm. it's clearly a generational thing. Yeah. I think you have to get introduced to it younger, hmm. but they just did not get what the whole thing was about. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Generation, culture, all of that is everything. Yeah. And it reads in our food. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Greg, I appreciate you letting me descend on you this Sunday. Well, thank you, Jamie. It's been a pleasure. Same. Yep. Thank you so much for listening to Consumed. It is a labor of love, and I appreciate anyone willing to give me their ears for an hour. Consumed is edited by Chris Lambert. If you have ideas for guests I should interview on Consumed, please visit the contact page at letsgetconsumed.com and be sure to sign up for the Consumed newsletter. Until next time, this is Jamie Lewis. Thanks for getting consumed with me. Thank you.